we had um, like pink cards that we would hold. We'd like, wait in line. And I remember when I was waiting in line, they had me, it said Alicia Casputis, and it said race, white, and then it said ethnicity. And I was checked as Asian, then whited out, and then oh, checked really? white, and then whited out again, and then circled and X'd and like emphasized Hispanic. And I was like, oh, okay. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Today's episode, I chat with Alicia. She is adopted from Guatemala and right now in COVID is a stay-at-home mom hoping to get back to her work when it's safe to do so. In today's conversation, we chat about language in school and how which languages your school offers can greatly impact how connected or disconnected you feel from a specific culture. In this case, Alicia couldn't study Spanish even though she was from a Spanish-speaking country. We also talk about the power of acceptance and how transitioning from a place of not accepting one's heritage or one's, you know, motherland culture uh, can be a tricky process. And once you do come to find acceptance of that, how freeing that can feel. We also touch on, you know, what the idea of being your own version of yourself means and how that can look different to every person, but still come from the same place and have the same building blocks. Alicia is also a new mom, and so we talk about motherhood and how becoming a mother really changed her perspective in certain ways about her own adoption. We get into all of these topics and more in the episode, so here it is. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me this week. On the podcast today, I am talking to Alicia, and she is a stay-at-home mom who came from the nonprofit refugee sector, hoping to go back to it when her son is a little bit older, currently lives in North Carolina, And to stay sane in COVID, she likes to go exploring in the woods with her son and hang out outside. Hi, Alicia. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, The first question I like to ask all of my interviewees is, you know, what interested you on coming on the podcast, talking about adoption, and why is that important to you? I feel like it was a long time coming. I'm very open about my adoption, but I feel like I just never really had a platform where I felt comfortable enough to talk about it. Uh, And so when you interviewed Michelle, um, I know her because her fiance is one of my old classmates from high school. And I really respected her story. And I just was very compelled to kind of share my own and explain some similarities and some differences uh, in how we grew up um, as a whole, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up in the South, so I had a very different experience than a lot of the stories I was hearing. So yeah. I just kind of wanted to 
try and see what you guys all thought. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Um, where were you adopted from? So I was born in Guatemala City, Guatemala, and then I was three months old when I was adopted and I grew up in Charlotte whole life. Never kind of um, left, left for a little bit, then I came back, but. And you're a transracial adoptee. Your mm-hmm. parents are white. My parents are white, mm-hmm. very white. My mom was a doctor. She's retired now. And my dad worked in business, but for the most part, he was a stay-at-home dad with me. So. Mm-hmm. And how old were you adopted? Like, I do you remember anything from Guatemala? No. Nope, nothing. And even when I was adopted, my parents kind of made it a point to um, not take me places because in Guatemala, it was very much viewed as people were kidnapping kids. Mm. So oh, my parents okay. didn't even feel safe enough, like taking me to the tourist places that they visited oh, while they wow. were there. So I didn't even really, there were no real pictures of me even exploring Guatemala, um, wow. just them. So wow, I wasn't even allowed to go with them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's intense. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Have you always known you were adopted or was that yes. a big conversation? No, nope, it was not a big conversation. I have a brother. He is six years older than me and he's from Peru. Okay. So we both kind of grew up knowing. Um, and I was always very proud of that. That was always my fun fact up until college, I think. <laughs> I'm adopted in case no one knew. So that was, it was never really a big deal mm-hmm. for me growing up. So. All right. Um, And you said in the beginning, you know, growing up in the South was different than a lot of the other stories you've heard on the show. Uh, Can you explain a little bit more? I did not grow up in the South, so (laughs) it would be helpful for me to know as well as whoever is listening who also did not grow up in the South. You know, when I was reflecting about coming on here and I was like, okay, what, what should I, like, when did I encounter passive racism I guess yeah it was all the time Mm. all the time from like elementary school to middle school to high school all the time and I just I didn't notice it because I'm a kid so obviously you don't notice anything when you're a child um in elementary school you know when you took your your hearing tests and you'd like tap which side and like if you could see and stuff yeah we had um like pink cards that we would hold we'd wait in line and I remember um, when I was waiting in line, they had me, it said Alicia Casputis and it said race, white, and then it said ethnicity. And I was checked as Asian, mm. then whited out and oh, then checked boy. white and then whited out again and then circled and X'd and like emphasized Hispanic. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. That's cool. I was also called Chinese for a lot of the time. People always assumed I was Chinese. Wow. They thought I was Filipino. No one ever assumed that I was Guatemalan or of Latin descent at all, which was weird, mm-hmm. but I guess I can see it. I'm really fair skinned. Um, and I've got very almond eyes, but I don't, I don't know. Even Chinese people thought I was Chinese. So I was like, wow. well, I don't know. So that's um, crazy. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> um, so do you feel Guatemalan? Um, I feel like that's a, that's kind of a weird question. I mean, I, I, I see where, like, sort of. Yeah. I mean, I never saw myself as white. My mom mm-hmm. and I had this conversation turned argument, I guess, <laughs> where she <laughs> she was like, no, you're white. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I've never been white. I've always mm-hmm. been Hispanic, Latinx, 
mm-hmm. Guatemalan. I've always put myself in that category, even though I was raised in white culture. Like I never said, oh, I'm white. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I've never been. Yeah. And I really think it was from that white, that like pink card that I saw. And I was like, oh, well, that is what I am. I'm not yeah. white. My parents might be white, but my brother is Peruvian and I'm Guatemalan. And that's where our categories fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, I never was into any Latin culture whatsoever mm-hmm. um, growing up. We, my brother, he's six years older than me. So my parents really tried to instill Spanish in us, but they were not fluent at all. Uh-huh. So we had au pairs. So we had international nannies, I guess, yeah. that would come in for a year and they would be from Spain. Yeah. Um, but they stopped when I was about three years old. So while my brother was getting the Spanish in his head, it stopped when I was three. I also right. wasn't talking until kindergarten. So I didn't speak mm. at all until kindergarten because uh-huh. I was just processing both languages. Yeah. So I just never talked. And uh, so I never really picked up Spanish at all. Okay. Um, so, I, I mean, and that was kind of it. So mm. then after, after they were done, I just kind of assimilated into the white culture that I was <laughs> born and raised in. And then yeah. middle school was when I tried to get into Spanish classes. Mm-hmm. Never put in them. Huh. Never, never. Wow. I was in it once and I was in basic Spanish my first year in sixth grade and never again. Huh. And my parents got so angry that I was never put in Spanish that one day my dad's like, they're offering Chinese. You're taking Chinese this semester. And that was the language I learned from then on. Wow. So wow. I took Chinese for nine years and I lived in China for a summer. So <laughs> I speak English, Chinese and Spanish. Wow. I wonder, so it was the school that just didn't put you in the Spanish language classes? Never, never. Weird. Do you, do you think it's because that they assumed you already spoke Spanish? Yes. And some teachers, some teachers were like, no, you don't need to be in it because you know it already. You don't need an easy A. I'm like, it's not going to be an easy A for me because I don't know it. Yeah. Holy cow. Even if you like explained no, I'm adopted. Like I don't have Spanish speaking parents. They literally just never put me in it. Oh my gosh. And it was so frustrating because I wanted to learn Spanish. Like a part of me wanted to learn it, but then, you know, by the time I was, I think by junior or senior year of high school, I was like, I really should learn Spanish, but (laughs) I didn't want to be that senior in high school learning Spanish one. And, Mm -hmm. And I was already so focused on just being the white version of me in my white high school that I just was like, you know what? It's not worth it. I'll just stick with Chinese. I'm good at that language. (laughs) I know more of that. I can totally relate to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although sort of ironically, I ended up taking Spanish for as long as you took Chinese. Yeah. So we should have flipped. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you, is that something that you hope to do differently with your son. Uh, and yeah, you know, well, my husband is fluent Spanish. in Spanish. So my in-laws are all Spanish speaking. So whenever mm. he goes to his abuelos, they only speak Spanish to him and oh, wow. he absorbs all of it. That's you know, awesome. both at this point, he speaks a very, very adorable Spanglish, um, That's so but cute. he, That's awesome. he processes all of it. So I'm really hopeful. Um, plus our school system that we're in right now, they have bilingual elementary schools so he could be taught in Spanish that's so cool I know they we did not have that in my school I wish we did but yeah yeah, so he has the opportunity if we can 
stick him into it to really solidify his Spanish. Mm. Uh, so that's something that, you know, my husband and I have kind of maybe we'll mm-hmm. see because mm-hmm. he gets the exposure um, whenever we see my in-laws too. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that is all the schools of the future. Bilingual yeah. Schools. Does he uh, ask about your uh, adoption? I'm assuming that your partner is not adopted. No. He okay. Is Mexican-American. So, <laughs> you know, he can, you know, he spends time with your in-laws and, you know, obviously visually, I'm sure he can see the resemblance. Um he's a toddler. So I don't know if, if this is something he's aware of, but does he, does he understand that, you know, you're technically a different race than your parents or than his? Not really, but I can see him processing it. I can see him seeing that grandma and grandpa are definitely different Uh than myself or his uncle, my brother, but I don't think he sees any crossover just yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it'll be Mm -hmm. interesting because, um, you know, the books that we have for him are a more, I don't know, more forward thinking, more yeah. open-minded books. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm very open-minded. I'm very liberal in my views. So like yeah. some of the books, some of his favorite books are showing different families, you know, LGBTQ plus families. They're showing moms that are different races. They're, mm-hmm. And so he's seeing all that exposure. Yeah. Uh, and so I... I don't know, but he'll always know that I'm adopted on some level. I yeah, think. yeah, it's so. good. That's I feel like a lot of my children's books would have been like that if there had been. I feel like it's yeah. come a long way in terms of normalization. Um, I over- think we're getting there. Yeah, you know? yeah. I feel like in terms of normalization, like yeah. I think we're getting more exposure to adoption. I mean, I go back to I, we're watching um This Is Us. Do you uh-huh. watch that show? And I have not, but I, I, Randall I see it is adopted the and yeah. I, he is really processing his adoption at a, at a very late age. Yeah. But I think it brought up a lot of emotions for me too, because you can see his story and you can see his questions and it's like, yeah, well, at least, at least you were a, a national adoption. Like think about being international. Right. You, there's even more unknown questions right. that we just don't have or we won't have and I think it's really powerful to finally see somebody that is adopted that's at least you know you're getting some conversations yeah and um so I think that's important I also think that a lot of the kids books that I see and that I read for my son they're they're getting there they're you know there's um there's a book that my boss gave me for my baby shower and it's called Not Quite Narwhal. It's very cute. It's about a little unicorn that was born in the ocean and he <laughs> doesn't completely fit in. Right. But he thinks he's a narwhal. Right. But he's a unicorn. And then one day he gets swept up because he's not a good swimmer and he ends up on land and he's like, oh my goodness, there are land narwhals. <laughs> and he's like, that's me. Wow. And then he's like, wow, I have to go back and I have to tell my narwhal family that I'm a unicorn. Like I know what I am now. Mm. And he goes back and he's like, that's who I am. They're like, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and then at the end, he like combines his little life together. And I was telling my boss, I'm like, that's me. I went to Guatemala, figured out who I was, yeah. came back, immersed myself, married my husband. Yeah. I'm like, here's my little life. 
like <laughs> with both combined very happily. So yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's uh, not everyone I feel like has, you know, a, a happy ever after story for lack of a better phrase yeah. in terms of, of being comfortable sort of marrying the two identities. I think it was a very hard transition though. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you speak more about that in terms of it being a hard transition? Also, I was very resistant to accepting Latin culture, like I Mm. said, for pretty much ever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I experienced racism on so many levels in high school and then college. Uh, And I went to a private school in Pennsylvania for a couple years, and I thought my high school was bad. Mm. This was like next level private school kids, very conservative. I just, it was, it was a terrible fit. I loved the school Mm -hmm. people. No. (laughs) So I decided I would go home and I went to app state. Um, and my very first friend was of Latin descent and I was very shy and I was like, hi, like, I don't speak Spanish. She's like, that's all right. You don't have to speak Spanish to me. And she was like, I'll teach you. And then, you know, just kind of more and more, I realized that not learning Spanish wasn't going to hinder me. Mm-hmm. But I also was, you know, growing up, I got shamed for not mm-hmm. speaking Spanish. I've mm-hmm. had people's families be like, your parents should be so disappointed that you don't speak Spanish. It's like, well, I can only do so much. So can they. They don't need to be teaching me the wrong language or terms. And I'd rather speak English than embarrass myself so um I was very shy about that and then so when I first transferred I saw this poster for an alternative service experience for Mm -hmm. spring break Mm -hmm. and the countries on there had Guatemala listed so I was like this is it this Mm -hmm. is this is my time never been back Uh, my parents were like it's a little dangerous for us we don't want to put anybody in danger but if you find a program for school, go for it. So I did. So I went on my spring break and I spent like a whole week in Guatemala mm. and doing like a service project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was amazing. It was, it was everything I had hoped for and more. And I was so scared that I was not going to be accepted in my home country. Mm-hmm. And again, being the one rejected from the majority of the Latin community. I was very shy, but the people that ran our program, they kind of eyed me when I first got there and they were like, okay, so why is everybody here? You, you start. (laughs) Uh Uh And I was like, oh, I'm adopted from Guatemala. I've never been back. This is my first time back. And I really just want to learn. And, uh, when we started our first day of work, they pulled me aside and they're like, so we only have a week, but we will teach you everything we can about our home. Wow. And it was so powerful. I was so welcomed and loved and like, they didn't even know me. (laughs) And so it was so reassuring to finally be in that country and them not like be like, how dare you not know Spanish? It was like, Oh, well, we call this, this, we eat these with this. And like, teaching as much as we could about my home. And I really respected that. And I loved it. I cried my eyes out when we left. Yeah. But it was, it was wonderful. It was 
everything I hoped for. And when I came back, it just kind of made me want to learn even more about the Spanish and Hispanic Latinx culture. Yeah. And again, my major was global studies, peace, conflict, and human rights. And then since I learned Chinese, my minor was Chinese. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I can't change my major a fourth time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I got involved in the Hispanic Student Association, which they changed it. And I completely am blanking on the name, but I was part of that. And then uh, I joined an interest group to bring a Latina-based sorority to our campus. Oh, cool. Which I didn't even know those existed. So I ended up becoming a founding sister of the first Latina-based sorority on campus. And I was the president. Wow, (laughs) that's so cool. Insane to even think that like two years before that, I didn't even want to be close to my culture. And here I was meeting seven other women that again yeah. accepted me and were like, all right, well, great. We'll teach you what we need to teach you. These are how you eat it. This is how you pronounce it. Don't yep. do it like this. Yeah. And I don't know. It was insane yeah. <laughs> to think that that's how it came to be. Wow. And then I ended up meeting my husband the, that year that I founded the sorority. Cause I knew his brother, he was like a couple years older than me, but we met from there and we realized we grew up 15 minutes apart from each other. Oh, different school world. districts. I know. Same <laughs> friends at different times. Oh, we no way. Ch- ch- chugging along, just wow. missing each other just by a little bit. That's and amazing. Met, that was it. That was us, me and him. <laughs> wow. Um, so the, what a cool story. And I mean, what a, I mean, not such a great thing that there had never exist. There had never been like a Latin sorority before you, but so cool that you got to start the first one. I mean, talk about normalization. That must've felt really empowering. It was. And, and the women that I founded it with, I mean, they were, they were the best group to teach me absolutely everything that I would Mm -hmm. need to know. Mm -hmm. And they were, I mean, we were a very mismatched bunch, but a really strong bunch together. Mm -hmm. So I think it really taught me a lot. And and the main thing about my sorority is like, we're strong, independent women. And I really think it taught me to be a lot stronger in who I was and to be assertive in my adoption and to not feel like I need to explain to myself that like, or to explain to others that like, I'm adopted. I don't speak Spanish. Or yeah. and then I got to the point where I was like, don't tell people I don't speak Spanish. I can hold my own. Right. I'll figure it out. Right. I'll get there. Like, Definitely. I don't need you sympathizing with me. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And uh, when I started dating my now husband, his family, like I said, his parents really spoke Spanish a lot. So it was mm-hmm. either I didn't talk to them or I learned Spanish. So I yeah. real fast figured it out, um, which is good. So yeah, now I have another language in my head. <laughs> um, I, your story kind of reminds me of a couple questions and I don't, I'm not, am I, I'm going to fumble through the wording a bit because it's, I feel like it's sort of a meta question, but mm-hmm. I, you'll, you'll, I know you'll, you're with, you're with yeah. me. We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> yes. Um, I, 
your your story about like not speaking Spanish and always getting you know flack for not speaking Spanish um that's definitely happened to me I have encountered older Asian women and they have assumed I speak Mandarin and they and I when they find out I don't they're mad at me for yeah. you know how dare you look Asian but not speak the language um I'm wondering if you have thought about it or have any feelings in the sense that, you know, you went to Guatemala and it was such a warm welcome, but I do feel like it was still in some way saying to be considered Guatemalan, you know, there's a right and a wrong way to do things or pronounce things. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like that's accurate? Because you know, I think as hard as you try or I try or adoptees, particularly transracial adoptees try, we're never like, we're not going to be, it's, it seems like the, it's either, okay, you have to change these things to be, be included in this culture, or you have to change the same things in the other direction to be included in the other culture. So I guess my question is, how do you feel about the seeming expectation that whether it be white culture or Latin culture, you have to change the way you do something to be considered, you know, a part? Right. I feel like it's a balance, especially because my reference points are my, like my husband's Mexican American. So yeah. I'm getting the Mexican side of cultures and traditions and things like that. But then, you know, I've, I think I've just kind of accepted that I'm just not going to fit into it completely. I'm just going to have to keep learning. Yeah. Uh, And that's, that's just kind of where I am at this point. I know Mm -hmm. that I'm not completely going to fit into this mold of white culture Mm -hmm. and I'm definitely not going to fit into this mold of Guatemalan culture Mm -hmm. especially when you know I'm learning Mexican Spanish and I'm learning Spanglish and Mm -hmm. who even knows what's accurate at this point right um so I go ahead I'm kind of just like in this middle point where I'm just kind of like oh well I'm just gonna be that person yeah and well the accuracy thing I think speaks to my very poorly worded question like (laughs) um in the sense that what if okay like Uh, you're Guatemalan, but you're an Americanized Guatemalan and that's your version and that's Mm -hmm. like accurate to you. And that is the, that's your truth. And that doesn't, the fact that that's your truth doesn't make you more or less Guatemalan or more or less white to like those cultures. I, I'm just thinking, it would be nice for me, you know, to, to like, I am my own version of Chinese Mm -hmm. and that is an equally legitimate version to someone being 100% just Chinese or 100% just, you know, something else. Right. Um, Does that feel accurate to you? I think it does, especially because my husband and I, we connected on so many levels, like, because we grew up 15 minutes apart. 
he also went to a white high school. Mm. And so he also kind of felt in the middle, his siblings, he's got three other siblings. They also kind of felt, you know, kind of in that in-between. And we've both been in in that in-between stage our entire relationship. And, you know, I, I definitely see big differences in Mm -hmm. how we're treated because, you know, we, we went to, um, Compare, it's a Mexican grocery store Mm -hmm. and everybody speaks Spanish there and we go there so I can get my bread and we can get our meat and all that other stuff. And every time we leave, we just kind of look at each other and like, what did we do wrong this time? Mm. Why were they staring at us this time? Was it because we were speaking English to Jaime? Was it because he was speaking English to us? Was, is it because we, how we dress? And I was like, you know, we're just never going to fit in. We, we are always going to be that weird in between and so will our sons. So it's kind of up to us to kind of really solidify who we are. Mm -hmm. So as our son grows up, he doesn't feel, you know, stuck somewhere Mm -hmm. and you know that's what our goal is to teach our son and future children you know Mm -hmm. be proud of who you are we're not going to fit into a general mold Mm -hmm. but that's okay because we've never fit into a general mold I definitely haven't yeah I went to primarily white institutions my whole academic career I never fit in yeah (laughs) and you know I found my way it took me a while And I found the answers and the friends and people that actually accept me for who I am. And they're not going to call me a fake Hispanic or, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. be terrible. Definitely. Um, So I think, you know, we find our way eventually. It just might take a while, but. Yeah. No, I think that's right. You know, you make your own mold, as you said. Mm -hmm. Um. Did becoming a mom make you think about your own birth parents differently than you had before? Yes. When So my son decided that the gods needed him to be born when he was. Yeah. So I was pregnant when I was 22, uh-huh. which was the same year my mom gave birth to me. Like she was 22 and she gave birth to me. Wow. So that was really something I just kind of mulled over to yeah. myself. It was like, wow, she and I are both in this position. Yeah. And adoption is not on the table for me. Mm-hmm. Like I will have this child. I will, he or she will be mine. Like this yeah. is like, n- nothing's going to stop that, you know? Yeah. So it was very eye-opening to see that. Mm. And, you know, I also think because I didn't have as many answers growing up, you know, when we're adopted, everybody, you don't really have anybody to compare looks facially, mm-hmm. you know, and Definitely. nobody really says you have your mom's eyes or your mom's nose. And I always yep. told my parents, like, nobody looks like me. Nobody looks like me. And mm-hmm. I want somebody that looks like me. Yeah. And um, I have a half brother. I have two half brothers. Okay. Uh, one lives in Michigan and the other one lives in Guatemala. I don't know anything about the Guatemalan one, but okay. my brother in Michigan and I keep in contact as much as we can Um, but he was the first person that I was kind of like wow he kind of looks like me Mm -hmm. and I didn't really have photos of my mom my birth mother because my mom lost them and she's like I'm looking I'm trying to find them 
And so he sent me pictures that he had. And I was like, oh my gosh, we look like each other. And I was so excited to finally have just like the smallest amount of just validation that I'm not just created from thin air. Right. And my mom always told me that, you know, when I have children, I will see the features that I want to see. Like you'll be able to say, oh, my son has this and this. Yeah. And it wasn't until he was literally born. I was looking at him. I was like, oh my gosh, he looks just like (laughs) And yeah, it was so, I like cried so much because when we look at pictures side by side of my son and me, yeah, we were identical as babies. And I was like, he looks like me. I have somebody that looks like me. Finally, finally, finally. How cool. Yeah. And you know, then you get to do all the like, oh, he has my eyes or. Yeah. I was very adamant that he looked exactly like (laughs) (laughs) now he just looks like himself, but it was, it was very nice to think that, you know, I've got some strong genes. Mm -hmm. How cool. (laughs) Yeah. So wait, how did you find that you had two half brothers? And also how did you know (laughs) that your birth mom gave birth to you when she was 22? So, okay. So I knew that because it, we have my birth certificate and my records oh, okay. that say her birthday okay, um, and stuff. So we kind of just calculated. So right. She was oh, 22 ish when she, yeah. And I didn't learn that I had two half brothers until I was in about fifth grade. My parents knew um, because my half brother's parents had sent us a letter oh. saying that they wanted to kind of keep in contact Wow. And um, my brother that I grew up with was a little more sensitive to being adopted. Mm-hmm. And so my parents were like, you know, we're going to let Alicia figure this out on her own. If she wants to initiate contact with you, like we're completely okay with that. But we want her to be old enough to make that decision for herself. Yeah. So when I was in about fifth grade, I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to know. I yeah. would love to have some answers. And when they sent a letter they had moved mm. this was obviously pre any technology that could find him <laughs> um and so I just kind of knew that I had a brother I always mm. kind of knew that I had a half brother fast forward to about freshman year of high school one of my friends was like you should look him up on Facebook and I was like maybe mm-hmm. I could do that and so mm-hmm. I like looked him up and I, he was the third result down. I was like, Oh, I think this is him. And I like gave him my life story. And I was like, wow, I probably shouldn't have done that, but I hit send anyways. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yep, that's me. Wow. And so I was like, wow, my God, this is my brother. And so it was kind of nice to have a familial connection Mm -hmm. in addition. And, um, we, we tried to meet a couple mm-hmm. times, but I feel like life just really got in the way and, yeah, you know, it just, it just happens. And yeah. COVID well, Michigan and, and North Carolina are kind of far. It's a hike. Too. Yeah. It's a hike. Somebody's really, somebody's really taken the time to, yeah, to go, go see. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we just haven't really met, but we, you know, we keep in contact. We exchange texts once in a while, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's, as much as I think he and I want it to be. And I feel like when the time is right, we'll meet and it'll, it'll be fine. But I want us to both be at that point. I don't want to push it and be like, hi, I don't care if you're not ready. I am. 
Uh, and I, I also think that like some people are just very okay with being adopted. Yeah. And you know, they're at peace with it. They're like, okay, well, that's my story. Yeah. I am who I am. These are my parents. I don't need to find those answers, but I, yeah. I really just wasn't okay with not having any answers, I guess. And I don't know if it was just growing up in a white ish community that I really just wanted mm-hmm. to like look for some additional form of family, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I always tell my husband that my therapist predicted I was going to meet him because <laughs> my therapist, oh, I always talk to him about how I just never belonged. I never, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. How am I supposed to? find my way if I don't even know who I am and he told me a story about an Indian woman who was adopted mm-hmm. and she really struggled with her identity and she ended up marrying a full Indian man mm-hmm. and she just kind of assimilated into that culture mm-hmm. and she was fine with it she was happy she felt like she bridged that gap and yeah. I was like that is not gonna happen <laughs> I'm not gonna marry somebody of Latin descent wow. nobody likes me it's never gonna and then I met him and, and here we are <laughs> how funny um do you know aside from you know the people that you've already mentioned do you know a lot of other uh, Latin adoptees or adoptees in general no mm. none hmm. I I, I learned of a couple more when I mm-hmm. hit college, mm-hmm. but they were all Asian adoptees. Right. Mm-hmm. I never met any other Latin mm-hmm. adoptees at all. It was just my brother, my half brother. That's pretty much it. Right. So wow. I definitely didn't have many resources. Um, my brother used to go to some adoption conferences or something yeah. that used to go on, but then they stopped and then I never really had an outlet to kind of process anything. So I was really just kind of by myself Mm -hmm. processing it on my own. And since he was so much older than me, he was like kind of on his own journey. Yeah. Figuring himself out. And then here I was just like, well, okay. Wow. (laughs) I guess. I don't know a lot about the Guatemalan adoption system. So well, it's illegal now. You can't adopt from it from Guatemala anymore because of the Hague oh my Convention. Gosh, that's so. right. Yes. Yeah. I did a whole thing on that for yeah. Adoption Awareness Month last November. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So and, and the thing was that my husband and I, when we were talking about the future, I told him I wanted to adopt. And I, I really wanted to adopt children in the future. And I really wanted to adopt from Guatemala. Mm. But you can't. They only allow domestic adoptions. And he was just like, well, I guess we're moving to Guatemala then. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) So we really kind of had the plan that we were just going to, I was going to take a nonprofit job. He was going to take a job there too. We were going to live there for a couple of years, establish dual citizenship, and then adopt a child. (laughs) Wow. Because they're very strict about that. And then, yeah, and then COVID happened Mm -hmm. and we had Jaime like three years before we planned to, but... (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. Oh my gosh. How does that feel? Like you being, uh, you know, the, you're, you're a very small, you're included in a small, small percentage of the population in terms of international Guatemalan adoptions. You can, there can only be so many, I guess. I know, I guess so. But 94 was a big year. So it's true. I don't know, hmm. but I like it. I think it makes me a little unique, but I would love to <laughs> meet other 
Latin adoptees. Because mm-hmm. I feel like I do know a lot of Asian adoptees. Even when I um, did my study abroad in China, mm-hmm. one of the girls that went with me was adopted. Mm-hmm. And on her final week that she was there, she only did like a month in China and I did three. Uh, she was going back to her orphanage. And I, oh, yeah. and like she and I kind of like had this like small little, very basic heart to heart. We're like, you know, this doesn't define you, but I hope you find some answers and, yeah. you know, be proud of who you are and stuff yeah. like that. Cause she was a couple years younger than me. Yeah. But wow. I was like, you're very lucky to be able to go back to your orphanage to even at least see something, you yeah. know, my, my foster mom passed away a long time ago. She was pretty old when I went to her anyways. So there are really no answers to mm. like any, anything Yeah. at that point. It was just kind of, I have my half brother and I have another half brother, but I feel like it would take a lot more to dive deep. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, that's a good segue to kind of um, my last question. Cause I was thinking about, you know, returning to one's, I don't know, air quotes, like roots or mm-hmm. uh, heritage so place of, yeah, <laughs> homeland, place of heritage. I never know what to call it. I, I feel like all the time when I'm doing these interviews that there should be new term. terminology, like made up, yes. new, like made up words for your like homeland, which is yeah. not actually, I always home. just call it the homeland. I'm like, I'm going to the homeland. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I was thinking about going back to one's roots and all of that stuff. Um, but if you could go back to you being little, your younger roots and, you know, tell young Alicia one thing about the idea of self-love and acceptance and identity, what do you think you would tell her? I think I would tell her that it's all right. (laughs) I think I really struggled just, I was like an ugly duckling too. So I got Mm. bullied for, Mm. you know, being geeky and, and being adopted. So it was like, I had, I mean, I had glasses, I had an overbite. I just was brown, Yeah, (laughs) just all like smooshed together into this one little negative little person that just did not feel accepted. So I would just tell Mm. her it's okay. And just wait and see what you find. And I feel like that was my whole thing that I was looking for, like, I really wanted to find a person that would accept me. You know, I don't, I wasn't like looking for a husband, but I Mm -hmm. I wanted a family. I wanted Mm -hmm. to feel like I could fully be myself, not just around my parents, Mm -hmm. but with other people and like get that same love and respect back. And I think when I married my husband and I'm got into his family that I learned that, I guess. Yeah. And I think it, because they were also going to white high schools for the most part, Mm -hmm. they at least got what I felt. Yeah. You know, they had their culture back at home and, you know, they faced tons of stuff too (laughs) for going to a white high school. Yeah. But it was always nice that I can always just kind of, they, they'll always get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even if they don't get the adoption side mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. they still at least feel that so it was nice to finally find that fit for me yeah. so I have like a lot of all right it's okay now 
just gotta yeah. worry about raising a kid mm-hmm. gotta teach him that he's strong <laughs> but yeah. I would just tell myself it'll be all right <laughs> yeah well I think that's good advice I, a theme that I have um noticed in doing these interviews and these episodes has been self-love takes time it takes time and experience and there to an extent you know you ideally you have a good support system people who accept and love you for who you are as you just said the rest of it is just an inside job and that can take time (laughs) years it's can take so so long so I think that's very uh valid and relatable advice because my all adoptees hit their identity crisis at some point in their life exactly it just depends on when exactly exactly that's a better way to put it than I was going to put it it's (laughs) like for adoptees especially it's such a prolonged and extended uh journey of like self-discovery and all that and Mm -hmm and you learn how to love yourself along the way. Well, thank you so much, Alicia, for being here. And yeah. this was awesome to talk to you. You are my first Latinx adoptee, the first of hopefully more to come. Um, so I really appreciate you, know, you being vulnerable and willing to share so much of your personal history with a complete stranger. Uh, it's, it's been great. I've really loved yeah. talking to you. Yeah. Let me know. I love talking about it, but you know, shapes me who for who I am now. So yeah, definitely <laughs> works for me. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks so much everyone for listening to today's show. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm adopted. Now what hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at I'mAdopted.podcast. See you there.